0: Welcome to Fearless, Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young, and today is November 11th, 2020. It's Veterans Day. So I want to give a shout out and a salute to all our veterans and especially all the women who serve our country now. Um, We have some women in some very high ranking positions in the military service. So it's really, really exciting to see that. And uh, a huge thank you on behalf of me and everybody else. To all of our veterans and also our puppy dog veterans, the dogs who serve as well. Um, It is November and Breast Cancer Awareness Month is officially over, but not breast cancer awareness, which as you know, because I've repeated this over and over again, breast cancer awareness is a 365 day awareness as is all women's health issues. And so we are continuing the message and the mission today, and we're going to take it to another level and talk about uh, the importance of really creating advocacy, awareness, and education among women uh, women, uh, who are minorities, uh, and sometimes in underserved communities, but not always. Um, there are many, and unfortunately in some cases, and we'll discuss a little further, um, some, uh, women of certain backgrounds and, um, minorities may have, uh, you know, cultural reasons why they're not, you know, concerned about getting mammograms and checking, um, You know, examining their breasts. Others may just be too tired or too busy, or maybe they live in communities where there's not access due to uh, poor transportation networks. There's a lot of reasons, but unfortunately, we all know that risk reduction uh, and being proactive is the best way to make sure you stay healthy and detect any abnormalities early because early detection is extremely important to get the best. An optimum treatment to stay healthy. So to discuss all that today, and another important topic, caregiving, because November is National Family Caregivers Month. I have invited Ivas Sempayo, who is the chief. She's now the chief diversity officer and head of public affairs for Share. Share is a nonprofit that I advocate and support. Um, that provides peer support to women diagnosed with breast, ovarian, uterine cancer, and also provides many, many programs, not only for the patient, but the loved ones and the caregivers. Uh, It's her first time on the show, and a couple things about her. Ivis is a 21-year Breast cancer survivor. She has was diagnosed twice. We're going to talk about that as well because I always have that in the back of the mind. Being uh, diagnosed once, what would it be like to be diagnosed twice? She has worked with Share for um, many years, and uh, over the time, uh, headed up Latina Share, which is a super important program, one of the many that Cher does, and uh, now she was promoted and, and has a bigger, broader role, and we'll talk about that. And hopefully she'll share some insights with you, my listeners, um, to alleviate any questions, concerns, or fears you may have about speaking to someone um, about questions about your health or a loved one's health. So Ivis, Sampaya, welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. Thank you so much for
1: inviting me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, we've known each other a really long time. I've had a relationship with Cher over the years, supporting its major fundraiser every year, which had a different feel to it this year, being virtual, (laughs) but hopefully we'll all be in the same room again. Um, I want to start. You are a two-time breast cancer survivor, 21 years uh, in survivorship. Congratulations. Would you please share your personal story about your diagnosis and treatment the first time and then, you know, let's start with the first time. Um, what, what? How old were you, for example?
1: Okay, so I had uh, started complaining to my OBGYN. I was 36 years old. I had just given birth to our youngest son, Ian, and um, it took 18 months for him to finally understand that there was something going on. I had been complaining, but lack of sleep. My uh, son wasn't sleeping. I was nursing him, so I was up every other hour. And you know how that goes. You're, you just don't sleep, so you can't think straight. But I would go into each one of my visits and tell him, you know, I felt this funny sensation in my breast. I was doing the breast self-exams and couldn't find anything. And he was like, well, no, that's because you're nursing. That's all it is. So long story short, when Ian finally started sleeping, I started sleeping and I called him back up and said, listen, it's been a while, but I need you to come. I mean, I need you to check because I really feel something's wrong. So I went in and um, he started with the same thing. Well, you're healthy. There's no family history. You're very young. There's nothing for you to worry about. And this time, um, because I did sleep, I said, no, stop right there. You're going to provide a clinical breast exam and hopefully nothing's going to be there, but I need you to really take me seriously. So he did and he did the uh, breast exam and what do you know? He found a lump. All his coloring left him and I recollect that he just said to me, we've got to send you for an emergency mammogram and sonogram because you're a young woman and your breasts tend to be more dense, so you need to have the sonogram also. So I went for both, and I had little Ian with me, who was now two, and he's running around. And I remember as he was running around when they were doing the sonogram, I was afraid he was going to get hurt with the cables, and I'm asking him to stay still. Try doing that Mm -hmm. with a two-year-old toddler. It doesn't work. But anyway, Mm -hmm. I I held on to him for a moment, and then I looked and I saw on the screen what looked to be something the size a little bigger than a dime, and it was dark. So I asked the technician, what's that? And she said, well, that's probably nothing. The doctor will have to check this, but it's probably a fibroid adenoma. That can happen uh, in younger women. There's nothing that you need to worry about. So I went home, and the ending of that week, the um, doctor's office calls me, not the doctor directly, but the nurse, and she starts to read the uh, report to me using medical terminology. Mm-hmm. I don't come from the medical field. Mm -hmm. So I had quite a few questions. And then finally, I said, well, then what are the next steps? And she said, well, they think it might be a fibroid adenoma, and we'd like you to come back in another six months to get another mammogram. And that was like somebody threw cold water on my face. I was like, no, no, it's been 18 months of my running back and forth. I need to see either a surgeon or someone else. I need a biopsy. I need to make sure now I'm not waiting another six months. And thank God I did, because when they um, referred me to the surgeon, he did the biopsy, and it came back positive. Now, I had no known family history of breast cancer or of cancer at all in my family. And we're all basically most of us women. There's just a few males there, but mostly women. And I took care of myself. I exercised. I never had a weight issue. Um, And I did all the right things. I nursed the baby, which is supposed to be protective. And I'm thinking, how can this be? Long story short, Here I was dealing with a rambunctious two-year-old and a 10-year-old and my husband trying to deal with surgery, chemotherapy, followed by radiation, and hormonal treatments. And I can't tell you that it was easy. It was um, in 1993. I'm actually a 27-year breast cancer survivor, and it was very difficult, and I kept Asking myself, I did the right things, you know. Why did this happen? So right then and there, that put me on a mission—not to be angry with what happened, or to feel depressed about it, but to take action, to read up as much as I could, to get involved, and um, I got involved right away with uh, the Susan G. Komen Foundation. I volunteered mm-hmm. with them. And I volunteered with the American Cancer Society because I'm bilingual and bicultural. I was able to work with them with the Look Good, Feel Better program and translate the information, the cosmetologist, the instructions that they were giving to the women and um, help them, them be able to have a conversation with the people that were there. Right away, I knew I had to do something because I kept thinking, you know, I don't have many of the barriers that other Latinas do whether it's they're monolingual only in Spanish, health literacy, um, culturally feeling that the doctor knows everything and you don't have a right to ask questions. So I was born and raised here in New York City, so it's what we call New Yurican. (laughs) And um, the point of the matter is that, you know, I did all the right things and it still happened. And I knew that I needed to work to help various communities understand the importance of becoming self-advocates, of learning as much as you can when you get diagnosed with an illness, and sort of becoming your own expert to help you make the right decisions along with your medical team.
0: Well, first of all, I have a couple of questions, Ivys. You said that you were feeling something and and there was like an 18-month lag. What were you feeling? Because we want to underscore that it's not always a lump that is indicative of potentially something wrong.
1: Right Well, what I had was a burning sensation mm-hmm. in my breast, and it would feel almost as though if you close your hand into a fist and then you blow hot air into it, and it would sort of move and um as I said, I never had a lump, but I felt that sensation, and I could understand to a certain degree because you know your milk duds, once you've stopped nursing, they're inverting, and because of that um you there is sensation that you might feel but mm-hmm. What bothered me the most was that the surgeon that I saw was right across the hallway from my OBGYN, and all it would have taken was, if this young woman continues to complain, maybe I do need to see, I send her to someone else to have her see, uh, seek a second opinion, and that the assumption was made, she's young, she's not going to have breast cancer and young women can get breast cancer.
0: Oh yeah, it's on the increase unfortunately in some cases, mm-hmm. so so I want to just to underscore from my listeners that, you know, a lump is not always the only uh, indicator that there may be something wrong. So if you feel something or say something, don't just go, oh, I'll see if it goes away because it may not right. go away and it could get worse. That's number one from what you shared. Number two is question your doctors. They are not, you know, they're not God. <laughs> Sorry, but they, they, they are trained and they're well trained. But, but. You should always get other opinions and speak up. I mean, if you don't speak up, you don't get. If you don't ask, you don't get. And you push. And what I think it's interesting about this. is, It's not that you came from, you were not in the field to know to do that. You were, were you working at the time when you were with, with your child or were you a full-time
1: mom? I had just left my, my job in order to, to raise our youngest. Um, and what was, so, yes. what was your job? What was your job? Before I left, I used to work for uh, an investment counseling firm.
0: Okay, so I just wanted to explain that because you did not come from the world where the healthcare world, you worked in an- another area and you were young and you probably didn't, and you had no cancer in your family and you're nursing your child and you're probably thinking there's, you know, who me, why? Cause I know when I was 36, the last thing I did was read any articles about breast cancer because you know, they don't apply to me. Right. Exactly. So I never did. And then of course, once you're diagnosed, you, be, you know, you, you're, you're thrown into the world of becoming an instant expert from the survivor's standpoint. And you, and you, and you, like you, like you, I dove in much more, um, focused on what is this disease and why did I get it and how can I survive it? Now you were 36 at the time of your first diagnosis and you said, well, so actually, you, I was
1: 38. I started with when I was 36 oh, and I gave so, birth to Ian, but I was 38 years old when I was diagnosed.
0: So, well, so it took that long, which is interesting. Um, And you said you went through chemotherapy and radiation. Did you have a, a mastectomy or lumpectomy?
1: I had a lumpectomy, along with uh, the the radiation. And okay. the chemotherapy was very, very harsh. I lost all my hair, um and as I, I, we later on found out, I'm very sensitive to chemicals. So I got to look in the mirror, seeing someone, a woman who was a complete stranger, not only because she was missing her hair, my tongue turned black, and the steroids had me completely swollen. I mm-hmm. had fatigue, and I actually passed out. Uh, One morning when I got up and my husband used to leave extra early to work so that he can get back er uh, earlier in the afternoon because he knew by 2.30, I just had no energy at all. And so I got up and I remember that um, the kids ran into the room and they said, hi, mommy, how are you? And I smiled and I said, I'm okay." And the next minute I passed out.
0: Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I
1: wake up. Thank you. Thank you. It was, it. was These are the moments that change your life. Because yeah. when I woke up, my then 10-year-old Christopher, who has large eyes to begin with, had huge doorknob eyes, and the baby, Ian, was lying over me crying hysterically because he oh. didn't know what was wrong when he was only two. Terrible. And Christopher kept saying, Mommy, should I call 911? Mommy, should I call 911? With tears in his eyes. And I'll never forget that. And I think this is what really propelled me to make sure that I would help others not go through what I went through.
0: That's very powerful. Yeah.
1: Well, it is. It is to see your children. And I felt so terrible because I kept thinking, oh, my God, I'm ruining my kids' lives, you know. Um, And um, the thing was to be able to make a change happen. And it's, once again, making lemonade out of lemons, making sure that that horrible experience gave me the power to help others to make sure that they become aware of cancer i'm not the little chick that's screaming you know the sky is falling but yes i do tell people you know take care of yourself become your own self-advocate learn as much as you can of either your diagnosis or your your treatment everything that you can so that you can ask the appropriate questions And what you don't know, you don't know, and that's fine. That's why the medical providers are there. But they, too, as you mentioned, are not gods. Mm -mm. You know, sometimes it takes some guesswork.
0: Yeah, it takes a lot of guesswork. you need to tell them
1: everything because you know your body. And that's why I always tell everybody, as a patient advocate, I always advocate for others knowing that it's your body. If you have symptoms, if you have things that just don't seem to seem right, Keep pursuing it. Keep asking the questions. Exactly.
0: So I want to ask you. So you were you were diagnosed a second time. How? What yes. was the time? What was the time frame uh, in terms of the second diagnosis? And what was the second diagnosis? Was it a recurrence it or was, a, a new a new breast cancer? No,
1: it was a new primary. It was a new okay. primary <clears throat> on my other breast, and I remember that because um, I it was I think it was eighteen years. The difference was 18 years between the Mm -hmm. two. And in between that, I had found out um, that breast cancer did run on my father's side of the family. Oh,
0: you didn't know that? My
1: parents, yes, my parents were divorced when I was very, very young. Um, Really, I didn't stay in touch with that side of the family. And the most unique thing happened, I always think things happen for a reason. I was running a support group, a Spanish support group. I was then then the director of the Latina Share uh, program, and I was running a Spanish support group. And we had started, we had done the go around where I introduced myself and the organization, everybody else was starting to introduce themselves. We had just finished when there's a knock on the door. And there was this wonderful woman who was a social worker at the hospital where we had the group. Mm -hmm. And she says, I have a volunteer. Is it okay if she joins you? She is a survivor. I was like, sure, of course. So there was a seat right next to me, and I said, why don't you sit here? Now, the first time that I introduced myself, I said, I'm Ivis Sampayo. And as I was about to sit down to introduce myself again, something tells me, use your maiden name. And it's Phoebus, F-E-B-U-S. Mm-hmm. And it's a little rare, so there's not too many of us. And as I said, I'm Ida Phoebus Sampayo. She cocked her head, and she looked at me. She said, F-E-B-U-S. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows how to spell that name. And um, I said, yes. And she says, that's my maiden name. So you can only imagine what I was thinking wow. at the time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But of course, I was running a support group, so I needed to help them with whatever issues they had to deal with. So I asked her to stay on a little later, which she did when we finished the support group. And I found out that she was my father's cousin. I also found out that she had had breast cancer, her sister had had breast cancer, and their other cousin had had breast cancer. Wow. So I quickly, yeah, yeah, amazing. I mean, I I, I couldn't believe it, and um, I called my oncologist, and he was like, I knew I should have tested you, you know, you were younger, but you were telling me that, you know, you had no family history, and of course, I told him what I knew. So that's one of the things that people need to keep in mind also. Whether you're adopted or if you don't, if you don't know both sides mm-hmm. of the family history, this mm-hmm. is extremely important for you to find out the history. And that's one of the things that I advocate for also, and we do at SHARE, is sharing your medical information with your family members. Because you never know if there's a connection, and you never know if there's a way for you to ha- avoid someone else getting an illness.
0: Yeah, really good point, really good point, even though sometimes they don't want to hear it, but um, yes, yes, uh, because I, 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 um, when I was diagnosed, we had no, I had no family, I had like one second cousin with breast cancer, that's it, and so when I did find out that I am one of the small percentage of women who carry the BRCA2 genetic mutation, because genetic breast cancers are a much smaller percentage than other reasons that you may uh, be diagnosed with a disease, le- le- you know, because of health, you know, health factors, lifestyle factors. Um, I was surprised. And the reason I tested, um, underwent the genetic testing, Ivis, was that my father had uh, pe- um, prostate cancer and melanoma and my maternal grandmother My foot, I'm sorry, paternal grandmother had pancreatic cancer and I have an Ashkenaz Jewish heritage. So when we put all those pieces of the puzzle together, my doctors advised me to consider genetic testing, which I did. And I did test positive and it made me make some important changes and considerations, such as having um, a, a salpango oophorectomy to remove my ovaries and fallopian tubes. Um, you uh, have worked really hard in um, the Latina community, um, You uh, and, and I, I want to underscore that SHARE provides multilingual programs uh, in Spanish and also in Asian languages, correct?
1: Yes, we actually have the Latina SHARE program provides about 12 12- Uh, Spanish language support groups, Spanish language educational uh, programs that used to be on site where we had some in New York and and Florida, but now everything is Zoom. So we have them via Zoom um, and we've even had women from Central and South America. Mm -hmm. participate, which is wonderful. We also have the Spanish helpline and we have the Spanish uh, support group. I mean, the survivor patient navigation program where we have the two co-directors, the new co-directors of the Latinaship program at two separate hospitals. And at the moment that a woman is diagnosed, if she is monolingual, they will interpret the information. And they're the ones that are actually letting the patient know that she has breast cancer. They're there to uh, provide emotional support for her and any of the family members that might be there, as well as being uh, the liaison between the medical team and the patient. Mm -hmm. And they do this for both English and Spanish-speaking patients at St. Luke's, Mount Sinai St. Luke's, and at Bellevue. Currently, both Maria and Jenny, since they're both survivors, are not at the hospitals, but the nurse navigators are calling them and giving them information on who to follow up with with the women that are diagnosed.
0: Well, um, you know, I, I, coming from your perspective, what are some of the Let's talk about some of the challenges in the Latina community um, for women in terms of their own, you know, may, you know, being proactive about their health in the first place. Uh, and then we can talk about, because often, you know, women who are maybe diagnosed with more aggressive or advanced cancers, uh, that could have maybe been pre- <laughs> prevented with um, certain precautions from uh, screenings to um, diet and exercise. So what are some challenges that, based on your you know many years working in this community, you find um, are inherently uh, difficult and you're trying, working hard to overcome and help women overcome?
1: Sure. Well, again... Everybody's an individual, and everyone has dif- differences right. and similarities. But mm-hmm. what we've seen is, especially now in uh, New York City and in other communities, many of the Latino community uh, members are immigrants, and they come, in, in many cases, from countries where they don't have a voice. So they're taught automatically you do not question a doctor's authority or someone else's authority. The other is that we tend to take care of the family first and not ourselves. So that means if there's need, if there's children, whatever you're doing, everybody comes first and then you're thought of last. And this is cultural. And I've seen this from women who are immigrants, from those of us that were born in the United States. Um, It doesn't matter. It's a cultural thing, but this is how you're brought up. And what we try to do is when we provide community outreach, and that's that's one of the biggest things that we've been able to do through both the Latinaship program and our AfroShare, is to go out into the communities and have peers. These are women who have had breast, ovarian, or uterine cancer, who have been trained, and they go out and they speak about the signs and symptoms. Symptoms of these diseases, but they also speak about the importance of sharing information with your family members, the mm-hmm. importance about taking care of yourself, of making sure that you're okay. And I always use the analogy of what they do in the airports, if they, in, in the airplanes, they say put on your mask before you put on someone else's mm-hmm. to help them. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that is kind of tough because as women in general, we're many cases taught, you know, you take care of everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're the one that's going to ground everything and be able to take care of the family first and then yourself. So um, especially in certain communities that a lot of the responsibility falls on them. Sometimes, you know, you may have a one-parent unit where she is working full-time and taking care of children, mm-hmm. and especially now with COVID. It's just crazy what's been going on. But we we have these opportunities to educate, the communities at large. And one of the tools that we've been using now for years is um, the novella. And this is a comic book style um, uh, educational tool that they're able to learn and break some of the myths that I kept hearing when we were facilitating groups. Oh, if I fall and I land on my breast, that can give me breast cancer. Oh, if... um, If I am diagnosed, I don't want to know because I'm going to automatically lose my breast. Um, I don't want to know because if I lose my breast, then I'm going to lose my husband. And all of this was being discussed. Seriously, support group. What, falling yeah. on my breast.
0: So, I, I yeah. you know, I, I'm i curious about that. I'd like to talk about a couple more of those myths because that's, I, I do understand the one if I lose my breast, I'll lose my husband. Unfortunately, the reality is hopefully that will not be the case, but there are some OFI men out there who just don't get it and they were not right for you in the first place. But, um, right. The, so that's
1: good riddance. <laughs> yeah. But, but I
0: think I want to talk about that. Um, because uh, it is a concern, no one will love me, I'm not perfect, you know, the body image. And that is um, a, a problem, that is a challenge with many women, uh, not only in the Latina, but in the Asian community. Uh, I had a very good friend who was diagnosed, and I don't think ever told anybody, I know, maybe, and never told her mother, because of the perception that she was imperfect. She was not, right. you know. And, and I think we need to underscore, And I'll say it as a survivor and you all that, you know, you are, you, you are perfectly imperfect. We all are. And, um, people love you. People who love you inside and out are going to love you inside out, whether you have real breasts, no breasts or new breasts.
1: Right. Well, I love what my husband said to me, because when I was first having the surgery, I said to him, you know, I've chosen a lumpectomy. He says, honey, it's whatever you feel is the best thing for Mm -hmm. you don't worry about anything. And I said, no, I'm not worried, but I'm just letting you know that if in fact the tumor is too large because I'm small chested, you know, I might wind up eventually having to get a mastectomy. And Mm -hmm. he said these special words that just to this day resonate with me. He said to me, I married you for you, Mm -hmm. not for your breast. And it reminded me and that we all need to remember that. We are all distinct individuals. Our values are not in how big our houses are. And we're seeing this across the board now because everybody's mm-hmm. dealing with the issue of the, uh, the COVID virus. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're, you're gorgeous, if you have great legs, mm-hmm. if you have great breasts. That's not the point. The points are, you as an individual have every right to live the best possible life, Mm -hmm. to have the best access to care. We as human beings need to remember that, and some unfortunately in positions of power have forgotten that, that Mm -hmm. we are all the same. My mother brought us up in three little girls in the Spanish Harlem area in New York City, and she told us, when you cut, and she look you know she put her finger across her wrist she says we all bleed the same color mm-hmm. remember that never judge anyone by the color of their hair the, the the style of their hair their coloring their skin coloring it doesn't matter it's the values and the mm-hmm. respect that a person has for you that matters and to me i've taken that to heart and i absolutely agree when- yeah yeah, And that's why when I became the senior director, between the Latina Share, the, being the Latina Share director and the uh, chief officer of diversity and inclusion, I was the senior director of programs. And that meant that I was able to take my ideas that I had used and worked with the Latino community to go into the um, African-American community, Mm -hmm. and then also a wonderful opportunity came when a wonderful uh, woman who, uh, her name is Aiko Brody, she used one of the services from our Brooklyn Support Group, Mm -hmm. and she came over to me and she said, I know a lot of Japanese women who are dealing with breast cancer, and although our numbers are low, I feel that they also need support. And I kind of saw a reflection of myself, of that wanting to help others, of Mm -hmm. being committed and loyal to service, and um, I started working with then ED, who was Jackie, and I said to her, I think we should try this as a pilot. She really wants to do this. We can train her, and let's see how it grows and see if it's a viable service. Well, it's grown. Mm -hmm. We recently uh, decided to have now a West Coast support group, because since soon we're getting women from both the West and the East, but it's easier on the time, the three-hour difference, to have a separate West Coast. They provide community outreach, and they have a helpline also. And that's one of the things, the services that we have at SHARE, that I think it's really important. All of our services are important. We have a unique metastatic program that has wonderful services for women that now no longer can be cured and are living day-to-day with this disease. And um, the helpline that we have has trained volunteers that we match with others. Let's say, for instance, someone calls and they want to speak to to someone in Spanish that has had young children. Well, they can speak to me. They can speak to Maria. They can speak to Jenny. All three of us were diagnosed at a young age. Mm -hmm and had children in hand and we're raising our kids at the same time as going with the uh, diagnosis and the treatment. And again, it's that peer training that women are able to support each other. And one of the things that I wanted to mention is that we also have it for our caregivers. And that's key because caregivers are in a unique position. They help others. And there's different things that we can provide, the services that we provide at SHARE, but other organizations too. Caregivers, you know, they also have needs. They need to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to communicate and have a way to speak to others. For instance, I have a friend, a family uh, friend member whose wife now, she had early breast cancer, triple negative breast cancer, and now she has metastatic disease. So he speaks to someone who had a wife go through breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And again, it's that connection. And we have caregivers who also have been trained who are on the helpline, which is Mm 844-ASK-SHARE. And then we also have the caregivers support group via Zoom. (laughs) In that caregivers group, we have men, uh, mothers of daughters who have had breast cancer or uterine or ovarian cancer, Mm -hmm. um, aunts friends, partners, they can all join and get the support that they need.
0: And these are all free services. Let's underscore that. It's available.
1: Everything at Shares Free.
0: And what I think is interesting, you know, COVID, there's there's a silver lining to COVID, believe it or not, this pandemic. And the silver lining is that thanks to Zoom and online and virtual, and we're living in a virtual world, Shares Services and many other wonderful nonprofit services are more available and accessible and there's more awareness for them beyond the geographical area where the organization is right. based, which is New York City. You mentioned that you now have women uh, connecting virtually in Central and South Central America. There's an enormous opportunity to reach out to women, um, and Latinas all over the world, basically, thanks to uh, the virtual programs. And I, I do want to underscore, because I've participated in some, that most, many of the programs, most of the programs, I think over 50 programs, or 60, actually, are interactive educational programs a year, of which most are virtual. We're up virtual. to 100 right
1: now. Oh, wow. We're, We're up really... to 100. And <laughs> wow. growing, because the Latinas Year program used to have about um, three to four programs per year mm-hmm. in, in, you know, uh, virtually. And then now they have actually been able to get doctors from central and South America They're who can present on themes, um, who could then, it helps, it helps really build community. I mean, we've all been zoomed out with all these meetings, but I, I always think to myself, we are blessed because if this had happened, if this pandemic would have happened 10 years ago, Uh-oh. Can you imagine how no. isolated we would have felt? Terrible terrible you know I mean, and now yeah. at least we have that opportunity with family members but also with connecting with others that are dealing with so many things that are similar because we have more similarities than differences yep. and you know one of the other things that i'm really proud of is the work that we've done uh, via AfroShare. when i became the senior director of programs my first mandate for myself was you've got to start bringing more of the african-american community into share I've always, as I said, my mother raised us, diversity and inclusion is so important, and therefore I take that to heart. When I saw that I was able to grow the Latina Share Program and then pass it on to the co-directors who have done a wonderful job, then I said, I need to then start bringing in and opening more doors. People need to understand that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, share services are free. Breast cancer is not prejudice. No, it's equal opportunity. (laughs) Exactly. And therefore, that's what we need to be. And so we started growing the African-American program. We started the ambassador program where they go out into the communities. And then from that first step, when one of our ambassadors went out into the Harlem area where she lives, they were saying, this is great. But what if we have support groups in Harlem? And we already had one for African-American in Brooklyn. And we were like, that's great. So now instead of one, it's two, uh, two groups. And now with the Zoom, people that couldn't make it before, now they can. Well, so it's really again, important. It, it, it's, it's really important with African
0: American community because African American women statistically um, are more prone to a more aggressive style of breast cancer, triple negative, and sadly the mortality rate is higher because often the diagnosis it's is a more 40%, aggressive stage. Yeah,
1: forty percent higher. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine that. And they're they're yeah. being diagnosed. Originally, they, they their um, diagnosis rates were less than Caucasian women, and now they've met up to it. So we're almost at the same numbers, and yet still to this day, 40% right. higher mortality rates. Yeah, some and, of
0: that is because it's diagnosed, it, it's, some of it is because it's the diagnosis is a more advanced stage um, due to the lack of early detection for a, a numerous reasons that we've discussed, but also. Mm-hmm. Um, African American women, for whatever reason, and I, I mean that obviously I don't have the information, scientific reason, but um, they have a higher rate of triple negative on um, breast cancer, yeah, which is also a more aggressive yes, style of cancer. So um, it's really, really important that the African American uh, community does have orga- uh, support with uh, organizations like Share to really raise awareness of how you must be vigilant about your health. Also, diet um, is important and exercise and, and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I can't
1: understand ways to have less stress. I mean, and and, and that's kind of tough saying that right now during the Mm -hmm. pandemic, because it is very, uh, these are very stressful times, but, you Mm -hmm. know, start to find out what is it that's causing you stress and try to find a way to relieve it, you know, understand that. And again, what you can control and what you can't.
0: It's really important. You know, I, I was highly stressed when I was diagnosed with cancer, and I had a lot of warning signs that my body was toxic uh, leading up to my diagnosis, even though my mammogram was fine. And nine months later, I had three um, tumors in my breast. So uh, we don't know how that happened,
1: um, but the point Western is- cancer quickly. Yeah, that's the other thing that they can grow quickly, which is why you have to manually examine your breasts,
0: right? I mean, because I mean, if I had waited to a year, you know, I had my always had my mammograms on Halloween. That's how I remember to do them, (laughs) and um, Mm -hmm. I I always tell people pick a date you can remember. Like for me, it was Halloween, scary, or your Uh, birthday. Right. But if, if if I had waited to October 31st again, it, you know, I, I may have been in a more advanced stage. I was uh, diagnosed at stage 2A. So I found the lump in my breast through a manual examination. But I knew my body was toxic. Now, I, I also do want to underscore that stress does not cause cancer. That is a no, scientific no, that. That's a scientist of but stress raises the, the stress can uh, weaken your body's immune system, and potentially raise its tox- its 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 openness to toxicity because your your body is not healthy under stress. It is a disease in itself, um, particularly anxiety, and uh, and we are all in um, a higher. I call it right now the United States of an Anxiety. Um, so we all must find ways to. You know, relieve stress, and it is how you do it in individual ways. But I, I was speaking, I was, I was speaking to somebody yesterday, a man actually, who said he passed out, and uh, he said, "I'm working 16-hour days." I'm like, "Well, stop working 16-hour days. We, we, we're all working from home. We don't have to do it all. We, we need to find balance in our homes right now, right? We have
1: to give and, and, and ourselves and permission." Right. You know, people need to, and I think also to listen to your body as you did. Yes. You, you instinct, and that's not always going to be the case. But listening to your body, and when your body tells you no more, then you have to say, I have to respect that. My um, husband laughs because I have. I finally got my little office in one of the the back spare rooms but before that I was going and I still am because I have a bad back and I go from chair to chair I'm like a uh, Goldilocks <laughs> trying to find the perfect fit you know so he'll see me sometimes when he comes home from work he's like where are you working at now I never know where you're going to be you know but the point is I know that after a lot of sitting what I do is and um I'll turn around and I'll say to my staff let's We're going to have a meeting, but instead, let's do it over the phone. You can send me the document via email, and then I'll walk around, put the phone on speaker, Mm -hmm. look at the document as I'm walking around either in my home or outside on my driveway or in my backyard, wherever, just to move.
0: Well, you know, I have a policy. I have a policy. I only do two Zooms. I will not do more than two Zooms max. I'm the same. In a day. (laughs) And and, and listeners, that's why we want you to remember that this is an awesome podcast, Fearless Fabulous You, because you can go take a hike and listen on the go. You have a lot of, I have a lot of listeners who listen to both of my shows, including The Connected Table, uh, when they're working out. And and I consider that the biggest compliment when somebody says, I was listening to your show when I was taking a, a, a walk working out, I consider that such a compliment because it means you're moving and it's so important. I also want to um, underscore, and I'm going to ask you this. First of all, I want to just, I think it's great that since I've known Cher, um, and it's important to underscore that the services are free and address women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, ovarian breast cancer, as well as, you know, all breast cancers, including metastatic. So all stages, right. ovarian cancer and uterine cancer, which is a newer development. And, and, and of course, right. the caregiver program, because uterine cancer is when a lot of people don't Think about I don't think, you know, I guess they don't have enough money for Uterine Cancer Awareness Month as they do others.
1: It's key. It's key because one of the reasons, and I really have to give credit to Stephanie Blaufarb, who was our then director of the ovarian program, and I was the senior director of programs at that time, and she brought to my attention that she had just come from a conference, and at that conference, the doctors were presenting that the highest numbers of women dealing with uterine and endometrial cancer and dying from it were black women. Oh, wow. And that's what I said, what? And so we're going into the community already explaining and giving the signs and symptoms and resources, both shares and any other national resources on breast and ovarian. But the higher number of women dying are from bleed-throughs. And it's something as simple as... Seeing that there's extra bleeding and saying, hmm, I need to have this checked. Mm-hmm. If they're already postmenopausal and they're bleeding through, they at least need to get checked. And wait a minute. Then, if they're postmenopausal,
0: to, wait, post-menopausal yeah, and, they're bleeding. and bleeding through, yes. postmenopausal means you not And more of the it.
1: symptoms. <laughs> I will tell you, more of the symptoms can be checked. And I, I just want to mention this to make sure people understand. It's our website, www.sharecancersupport.org. Again, yes. share sharecancersupport.org because we have the signs and symptoms of all three diseases. But when Stephanie brought that to my attention, both she and I thought, "Wow, this is something we need to be doing." So we started it off in mm-hmm. 2020 um, as a pilot project. But quickly it grew. We we hired um, Kitty oh. and Nefertari, who is actually a uterine cancer survivor, and they've done a wonderful job to increase it. They're now working with Christine, who's doing the patient services work. But when, um, I started it with, with Stephanie, the point was that we right away knew how important this was to be Mm -hmm. able to educate the community. Because again, awareness can save people's lives. People need to learn and know about things. Um, women need to learn about taking care of themselves. Men also, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So again, this is what share is. Share is about making sure that we're able to provide for free the services that we develop and we do them with peers. We do it with communities. If we're seeing something that is happening in the community that's important to the community, we get their feedback, we work with them, and then with our wonderful staff, ED, and the board, we're able to then bring it on board and extend our services like we're doing with the uterine. I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to start that that program, and it's doing very, very well.
0: Well, I'm really glad because a lot of people don't, you know. I I learned, you know, when I had my ovaries and fallopian tubes removed um, because I carry this genetic um, mutation. And you know, have resistors
1: a, there, right, Melanie? I'm I did not. I'm a two carrier. Yeah, and so it worked me also. It's
0: um, it's a top of mind thing. So I, you know, did not want to get ovarian cancer because the symptoms, you know, it's a fairly asymptomatic illness until advanced, but uterine, I didn't know. You know, when I was writing my book, getting things off my chest, and I was researching, and I asked my ob like, "What do I do now? I have no ovaries, I have no fallopian tubes, I have, you know, these reconstructed breasts. Do I really need to see you anymore?" And she said, "Yeah, you do, um, because you you got to have a pelvic. You got to have you you know you got to have a pelvic exam. You need to uh, make sure that you're not um, going to have cervical cancer, or uterine cancer. I mean, there's a lot of plumbing down there. It's not just your ovaries and fallopian tubes, but you know, there's more to it, and you need to get checked." and you need to go to doctors. Um, So don't just think it's over, you know, just because you had your ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. You've got a uterus. And I, you know, I don't know how that works with a hysterectomy. Because I had one. um, And, you know, if you still have, what risks you have once you're, you know, uterus is removed what's left but yeah i guess you'd have that's a whole nother discussion for another time with with a doctor but the point is don't assume that because you had something removed that you can't get cancer in the vicinity with you know or another type of cancer don't think it's over See, keep keep going i mean a big example is i had both breasts removed right and I had reconstruction, but I have to have, still have to have my chest wall and armpits and underneath the whole area still has mm-hmm. to be checked because you can still get a recurrence or potentially another cancer. And and because I'm BRCA two positive, that's I always top of mind. Trust me. Um, we don't have time to talk about the addressing the fear of recurrence um, or another cancer, but. I can because we have about two minutes left, but I'll share mine. You You know, you did have another cancer. I worry about right. recurrence and I worry about another cancer bigger. I drive my husband nuts about that. How do you handle that? How do you handle that fear? For me, I just, I go take a walk. I get outside. I, I call somebody and say, I'm thinking about you and take the, the worry off of me. What do you do that you can share? Well,
1: I, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky that when I was diagnosed for the second time, I was at SHARE. The first time I didn't know about SHARE so I couldn't use their services but having the staff at SHARE, I have friends at SHARE I have patient advocates that are are part of SHARE, those that are outside of SHARE Um, so I have people that I can uh, speak to and the thing is I was going every six months to get checked either an MRI and then six months later I would get my MAMO and my SONO because remember, I still had both breasts. When I wound up with the second diagnosis, I had to have a double mastectomy, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of complications. And I still have to deal with certain other problems. I have lymphedema now in both oh, my arms. Bless your heart. But the point, and that's a good topic also for you to cover. But the thing is, I, I, I wasn't shocked that I wound up with breast cancer. Uh, a new breast cancer. I knew I was doing everything I could. Remember, it was only six months. It was less than six mm-hmm. months when I had my MRI. When That's when they found it. But uh, again, you know, I, I feel that we need to honor our bodies. We need to honor ourselves as human beings and reflect on what you do have and not what you don't. But that's me personal. I'm not trying to say everybody should, but I think people can call share. And that's what we get in many of the calls, people that are concerned. You know, what can I do? What are the resources? You know, um, am I, you know, I'm lucky I'm alive and others aren't, but, you know, should I, should I be doing things differently? You know, I kind of feel guilty that I'm worried and other people are not living. I've seen so many, unfortunately, We've lost so many women at SHARE, right. but I've also seen so many women blossom and become advocates and and start helping others. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about that unity. It's about yep. knowing that you've joined that sisterhood that nobody wants to join, but we're there for one another. And the key thing is SHARE is there. We're all there for you
0: well I think that's a great way to end and advocacy is awesomeness so um, I want to thank you for being awesome as an advocate to help women of all backgrounds uh, and ethnicities and uh, cultures and ages because it you know cancer is insidious and it affects all everybody it's not it's not just one group we've come to the end of the show again i want to make sure that i give the uh, thank you again ivis empayo for joining me the national helpline is 1844 ask share 1844 ask share and the website is sharecancer support If you're listening, share that information with someone you know uh, that could benefit. Uh, And again, to all my listeners, be very proactive about your health. Be your best self-advocate. Ask questions. Get the answers you want. And always make sure to live life on your terms and in good health. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Hi, this is Melanie Young, host of Fearless, Fabulous You, If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with breast cancer, I urge you to read my book, Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer. This is a book I wish I'd had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in August 2009. In it, I interview survivors who provide valuable insights on what they learned from going through breast cancer so they can help you make informed decisions and confident choices. I also talk to medical experts to learn the latest advancements on breast cancer treatment. And I provide important health tips on what to eat and how to care for yourself so you can stay as healthy and strong as you can every day you're through treatment. Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer is available on Amazon and you can buy it through my website, MelanieYoung.com, and I'll send you an autographed copy. I want you to stay healthy in every aspect of your life, and especially if you're facing a breast cancer diagnosis. So my message to you is stay fearless and fabulous always and in good health.